0: Three, two, one. <laughs> what? Reversal of fortune. That's why I tell my friends everything happens for seriously, a reason. Seriously, you had one job. I, just, I, I can't Jeez. with some of these people. I Mom, put down your goddamn cell phone. I toes. don't think my dad even knows how to use a computer. Uh, Would you rather? All right, trust me, take no, my but advice. No, seriously, that legit happened. How's it going, guys? And welcome to Nervous Habits. This week, I'll be joined by millionaire investor and author Lloyd Edge, For a conversation about passive income and financial independence, we will dive into issues including why people should look to escape the shackles of the 9 to 5 job, how to develop a stable passive income stream, why only 5% of people are able to unlock the passive income lifestyle, why property is the least volatile investment you can make, and finally, why you should always buy low and sell high on your investments. All that and so much more on another episode of Nervous Habits. Hey guys, welcome to the show. This week, although it might not sound like it's the most exciting topic, financial freedom is, is something that a lot of us don't really think about. You know, we just, we're, we're taught from a young age you go to college, you get your degree, you work at a job, then you retire, and you do what you really want to do, and then you die. And that's not really the way that it has to be. And this is something, this notion of financial independence, it's something you've probably heard about. Um, It's something I spoke a little bit about in past episodes. Uh, Back in episode nine, with Jeremy Pachter, we discussed whether the nine to five was really the best life uh, you know, I've had resident financial guru, uh, Stephen Otaxio, on for a few times to speak about investment and finance more generally in episode 17 and 23. But now I want to combine the topics and discuss this concept of having financial freedom um, with a bona fide expert whom I'll introduce in a minute. And I think that this topic is relevant right now for me personally and for the world For the world, you know, we're in the midst, you know, trying to come out of this pandemic, COVID-19, where a lot of people have lost their jobs. Industries around the world have been hit. Small and large businesses are out of business. Tens of millions of people are furloughed and laid off and don't have a source of income. They're relying on the stimulus check to feed their families. And so what my guest discusses with me is this question of why we're so dependent on a job to provide us with income, you know, to support ourselves and support our families, and whether this is the only option. Because if you look into passive income, if you look into investing in stocks and bonds and natural resources and acquiring property, um and you know, all sorts of of different investments, there's a way where you can actually have a source of income without needing to rely on something like a job. You know, if you have a global financial crisis like the one of 2008, or like the one that's happening right now with the pandemic. So it is a very timely discussion um, on that front. And also for me, you know, a lot of our our conversation revolves around the idea of purchasing property, you know, and and actually making money that way. And for me, I'm coming up on the expiration of my lease, I'm, I'm looking to sign another lease and another rental agreement. And I was just reflecting the other day, you know, a lot of people listening might be in the same position, but I've actually, this will be my seventh year or I've had six years renting apartments. This will be the beginning of my seventh year signing a lease. Seven years of paying $1,200, 1500 1700 a month for an apartment that I see zero return on my investment in. You know, it's like putting $120,000, $150,000 in, in a wheelbarrow and just lighting it on fire because at the end of each of these leases, at the end of the year, I have no claim to the property. I leave with all my stuff and I go to another apartment and I don't actually get anything back. Um, and so, you know, as I look to sign another lease, because you know, let's face it, as a law student, I don't have a lot of options. I don't have a lot of financial fluidity. It just begs the question of whether or not I would be better off in the long run actually buying a multifamily um, or, you know, getting a mortgage on a home um, or renting out an apartment building, because to be honest, renting is just a waste of money. And I guess that's another perspective on financial independence and property acquisition that I don't touch on with my guest, Lloyd. We really, a lot of the conversation that you'll hear is going to be about um, acquiring property as a means to generate income, right? Like buying a multifamily apartment and then renting it out so you can eventually be positively geared as Lloyd likes to say and and earning money on that as opposed to what I'm saying which is more buying an apartment so you can live there yourself so you can avoid paying rent. So that's a different, uh, a different aspect of the discussion. But be that as it may, the conversation with uh, investor and author Lloyd Edge is is really enriching and enlightening whether or not you have any sort of familiarity with investing and with finance in general. Uh, Lloyd is a property investor who in 18 years as a property investor and developer, accumulated a property portfolio worth Over $12 million, and we'll we'll talk about what that means in the podcast. A former teacher, Lloyd's investment strategies allowed him to retire from the rat race, and he now helps clients achieve their own financial and lifestyle goals. Lloyd has been nominated several times as a finalist in the R-E-I-N-S-W Award for Excellence, as well as the Real Estate Business Award. In 2018, he received Your Investment Properties' Top Buyer's Agent Award. So he obviously brings a lifetime of experience and acumen to this conversation. I would listen closely to what he has to say. Um, and like I said, you know, it it, it really it you know I, I was I you know I, I learned a lot uh, from the conversation, and and I'll I'll talk talk about that more after the episode. But without further ado, my conversation with Lloyd. Thanks so much for being here with me. This is obviously. An unprecedented time in, you know, human history. And I know in America, things are pretty restricted right now. Are you also under similar lockdown, uh, you know, orders in, in Australia?
1: Uh, yes, we are indeed. Yeah, we've been un- under lockdown for about a month. Uh, we're just starting to see the other side of that now with they're starting to open up a few uh, few businesses again allowing people to come out. Uh, but yeah essentially people have been in, in isolation for probably around about six weeks. Um, unfortunately a lot of businesses have had to close including um, cafes, restaurants, gymnasiums. Uh, so um, yeah, it's been it's been been a little bit tough there, but I, I think overall our government has handled things quite well, and we've uh, we've managed to see a little bit of light there. So things are starting to get back some sense of normality over the next few weeks, I think.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. I, I think I think we're on a similar trajectory, Lloyd. And I mean, on like on an individual level, and maybe even from a business perspective, you know, do you find there to be any any like silver lining to this? You know, anything that you can draw out of this experience, where you know maybe it's an opportunity for growth and development, either for you or for your business?
1: Yeah, there's definitely opportunities for um, for both, um, yeah, personal development and and business uh, development. I think it's it's uh, often times like this is times to really reflect and look at how we could be. Doing things better, but also just planning for the for the future. What I've seen, um, you know, from a lot of people who uh, had what they thought were stable jobs and then lost their uh, lost their income, uh, it's really made a lot of people think how how can they actually get themselves into a better position uh, so that this sort of thing doesn't happen again. So, you know trying to rely on um, other sources of income rather than their, uh, their job and people are starting to sort of um, plan a little bit for that now and I, um, you know, I've had a lot of people um, contact me to ask for some assistance in, in trying to plan for, uh, for measures to mitigate that kind of um, stuff in the future.
0: Right, right. I mean, and that's actually a great segue, Lloyd, into the conversation that we're going to have in terms of, you know, financial dependence versus financial independence, because I think pandemics like this really put into perspective just how dependent people are for their income, for their livelihood, on, you know, their small businesses, on on large corporations. And if, you know, you have a recession, a depression, economic instability like we're facing, a lot of people are sitting around wondering how are they going to feed their families if they get furloughed, if they got get laid off. Um, So I think it really, you know, puts into focus just how important it is to have your own source of income outside of having a day job.
1: Yeah, that's that's very true, Ricky, and that's something that I've always believed. I've never thought that a, a day job or a nine to five job was particularly secure. Um, unfortunately, when we go to to school, we're always taught that we should get good grades, uh, go to university or college, um, you know, get a good education, then get a good job that's going to be secure, and so that we can afford to to you know buy a house to uh, to live in and um, and feed our families and all that kind of stuff. But what we've seen at the moment is that. Jobs are not really that secure at all, and uh, I'm not just referring to uh, places like cafes or restaurants, but we've even seen the airline industry, for example, where over here we've got uh, Virgin Airlines, uh, where they've laid off 10,000 staff, and there's all sorts of of issues there. and, And those sort of staff wouldn't have had any inkling at all last year that there would have been any problems there. So, so having having a job that you're relying solely on that income uh, is definitely uh, not that secure. And I think people do need to look at other ways that they can have um, income to come in because I think what you really need to do is have multiple or several sources of income uh, come in uh, to your bank so that you actually aren't so reliant on just you know one thing. So if something does happen uh, in the economy or uh, to one of your sources of income, you've actually got other uh, other methods to rely on.
0: Absolutely, and you actually, uh, you know, hit hit on an interesting point a moment ago when you talked about this this myth that we're taught in Western culture, um, and really around the world that you go to school, you get a job, and the you know the, the purpose of your job is, is to receive income so you can be a breadwinner, so you can feed your children or you know feed yourself, support your family, but really, um, in you know in your work you refer to this as the shackles of the 9 to 5 job which i absolutely agree with but you know what do you mean by by shackles why do you think that we're you know prisoners to these day jobs
1: yeah well i mean a lot of that comes down to what we're we're taught in the uh, the education we we uh, we're made to believe that uh you know to be successful you have to go leave school and get a job and it's it's always 9 to 5 but you really do become a bit of a prisoner there because then you end up working uh, for a boss and you're uh, you know you're, you have to basically do what you're told uh, you know you've got no uh, I guess you got no freedom you're, you're turning up at um, nine o'clock and uh, for me uh, when I used to uh, have a full-time job I was actually having to turn up at seven o'clock in the morning and sort of working through to about five uh, with very little freedom during the day uh, and, and often uh, not not particularly well rewarded and not rewarded uh with with income either uh and um you do feel a bit stuck and i think you become in a, uh, a bit of a rut there and i think life needs to be a lot more about that life needs to be more about what you can actually well, what your goals are and how you can achieve them and and just having a having a job where all you're doing is getting up and doing the same thing every day uh is not really the um you know the idea of uh yeah, of, of having a successful life there because you want to be able to, uh, you know, spend time with your family. You want to be able to have those dreams, whether that is, um, you know, going to the park or the beach or, uh, you know, Going out on, on the water and all those kind of things, and you can't really do that if you if you just um, got shackles on all the time.
0: I couldn't agree more, and I think a lot of people, I think most people, Lloyd, are generally dissatisfied with their day jobs. You know, I, I read in a book, The Pathfinder, um, by Nicholas Lohr a couple of years ago, that something like 90% of people that responded to um, you know one of the surveys his institute put out uh, indicated they were disillusioned, disenchanted, or otherwise indifferent with. There with your avocations. Um, so, you know, if you ask most people wh- what, you know, what, what, um, you know, what, what motivation do you have to get up in the morning to actually repeat that, that, you know, that cycle, as you, as you alluded to like groundhog day, um, you know, rinse, uh, wash and repeat. It's pretty much just, uh, you know, to, to, to be stuck in that loop and earning that money. And I think a big contributor Lloyd is the fact that, it's just what everyone else is doing. It's it's conformity. Um. So you know, do you find that that factors in as well? That's
1: exactly right, Ricky. And I was actually about to say that. Uh. That that is exactly what uh. What people do. And if you actually asked people uh, why they're doing something, they would often not know why they're doing it, and they would say, "Well, that's what that's what you're supposed to do. That's what everyone else is doing. Uh. So you you basically you are conforming to what the what society is doing. Uh. And just getting up and. You know, doing a nine-to-five job uh, because you feel that's the only way you can uh, earn a bit of money so that you can put a roof over your head and, and feed your family. And there, there are uh, just you know some better ways to be able to do that. And uh, and I also think that you know you need to be able to think outside the loop a little bit because uh, if you do the same thing that everyone else does, you're going to have the same results as everyone else. Uh, and like you alluded to a minute ago, uh, most people are not happy with their their nine to five jobs and they're only doing it because they feel they have to and they've got no choice. So, uh, you know, try to be, you know, one of the you know, 5% of people who, who actually can actually do something a little bit different uh, and create uh, some lifestyle choices and some financial freedom um, for themselves is a lot different and uh, and it, it just opens up a whole um, whole different world.
0: Definitely, definitely. And, and I think you're right. You know, you, people should strive to, to, to stand out, be in that 5 10% who aren't just – you know, going with the grain, but you know, it is lonely. And I think there are elements of guilt and shame there. I don't know if, if you felt this, you know, uh, w- with your passive income lifestyle, but one of my best friends is a professional soccer player. And, you know, he doesn't have a nine to five job. He pretty much just trains on his own and trains with his team. Um, you know, I have friends who are, uh, sort of like independent contractors who do coding, um, on, you know, a, a per person basis, and they don't have nine to five jobs. And they talk about how, you know, the rest of the world is busy from nine to five at their cubicles and you know they're waking up at at 12 noon or or they're working at night and and they have this this lingering feeling of of loneliness and also of shame and guilt that they're not doing the same thing as everyone else have have you experienced that
1: uh yeah to to a little bit but i i I do think i do see that uh you know, quite often, you know, I might want to be able to hang out with with people during the day or, or something like that, and um, you know, people are always, you know, got their, uh, yeah, they've got to be at work and they've got to do things, so it's a little bit limiting there. Uh, I don't, uh, I don't see it as sort of shame or guilt because I, I also see what I've been able to achieve and the lifestyle I've been able to provide for myself and my family uh, is, um, you know, is something that I'm obviously, obviously very proud of, and, and a few of the other uh, things that I'm contributing to, which we can discuss a little bit later, but, um, but it's also not so much a matter, I mean, for me, it's, I certainly don't you know sleep until midday, uh, well, yeah. I can't remember 4 old baby at home either, but uh, with, uh, you know, one of the things about, uh, you know, leaving the nine-to-five lifestyle and creating your own life is to actually do what you really want to do. Uh, it's not really about doing nothing and just sitting on the beach and, and all those sort of things, because that kind of stuff can be a little bit boring after a while. It's really about doing stuff that you can really contribute to and for me uh you know i love educating um helping people and uh, helping people sort of achieving their own uh dreams and stuff and uh and a lot of the things that i've achieved uh and, and you know through my own um property scenarios i uh, you know i like to be able to uh help other people with that so it's it, for me I've, I've got a lot of motivations to actually get up and, and do things during the day but it's through my own choices and i can choose sort of what i want to do and and when i want to do it and 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 the key is that uh you know if you want to take a day off because you want to spend time with your, uh, your kids or you want to take a day trip somewhere. You can do that because you're not ground by that, um, nine to five job. And if you've got any tasks that you do need to do, you can sort of do them at night or you do them on the weekend. You can do them whenever you want.
0: So something you just said was particularly, uh, you know, poignant. And I want to, I want to make sure my listeners get that in that leaving the nine to five opens up free time to do what you want to do and do what you love. And I think that a lot of people, Lloyd, they get to the end of their careers. They work for 30, 40 years at a day job, at a, you know, on a cubicle farm, so to speak. And then they realize once they hit retirement, they don't know what they want to do. They don't know, you know, how they want to spend their free time. A lot of them actually, you know, go back to working part-time to getting some per diem job. And I think, you know, you could make the case that, Financial dependence and passive income actually makes you more goal-oriented because you have all this free time that you need to fill it with something as opposed to people who just wait 40 years to actually you know, be free from those – liberated from those shackles, and then they realize I have no idea what I'm going to do with my free time now. Absolutely, Ricky, and it's really about contributing to society, so for
1: me you know i I love contributing i i, I you know I help out charities and I, I've got some big big plans of what I want to be able to do with some uh some societies less fortunate than ourselves and things like that and and it's really about putting those. and you, you do get motivated to be able to do things like that uh because having uh having passive income uh like if you're just sitting on the lounge all day, that's actually unmotivating, and for me, um you know I actually am more active and actually i guess work harder now than I ever did. Uh, than when I was at, uh, when I was working a nine to five job, but what I'm doing now is something that I really um, really love doing and really want to do, uh, and it's a, it's a big difference there. And it's about finding finding your niche, something that you really want to do, because it's a difference between getting up and going to work, because that's what you have to do uh, to put food on the table, and getting up, being really really excited, you know, getting up, taking the mm. dog for going to the gym and then just loving the fact you can get up and, and leave the house and do um, you know, do your task for the day uh, and being really excited about it. And that's, uh, that's it's a massive difference. And, you know, I, w- I was in that position where I had a nine to five job and I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to go to work. And then, you know, I, I managed to get myself in a position where my, my life completely turned around.
0: Mm. so there's an element of autonomy here in that it's empowering not not to wake up early because you have to but because you want to and you feel like you're in control of your own you know your your own future so to speak absolutely yeah
1: uh just yeah waking up early and being excited to get up is uh is a big difference uh that that happened to me that you know a few years ago that wasn't the case at all like like i said so yeah really get it and really planning that day and thinking, okay, well, you know, what am I, how am I going to start my day? Well, you know, I'm going to start my day with a run and then I'm going to uh, have a coffee and read the paper and uh, spend a little bit of time with my son. And then I'm going to go out and, um, yeah, do my tasks of the day and, and just being really, really excited to be able to do that. But right. also, you know, if I want to have, uh, spend lunch with, with my family and stuff, I, I can do that and I can, I can work my um, day around uh, to do whatever I'd like to do.
0: You know, we're going to, uh, Lloyd, we're going to go into the nuts and bolts of financial independence in a moment, but, you know, I have to, I have to, you know, be a little skeptical here because I think a lot of people listening might be worried about leaving their, their comfortable nine to five jobs. And they might be thinking if it was that easy, you know, why doesn't everyone do it? Why doesn't everyone quit their nine to five jobs and purchase property or, uh, you know, uh, geo arbitrage or some other source of, of passive income? What would you say to people that, that you know, that, that present that argument?
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, if it was that easy, everyone would do it. So, uh, you know, essentially, you need to have a plan, you need to have a goal. Uh, you need to have a strategy and you need to keep yourself accountable and it doesn't happen just overnight like I didn't just um, you know I used to be a teacher I didn't wake up one day and think okay I'm going to quit work tomorrow and um, and it's all going to happen I mean putting putting passive income and things in place uh, that, that actually takes years to do it so I'm not you know not scaring off people there but you yeah, know people can put a um, a plan in place to be able to achieve that uh, and uh, you know it's, it's very realistic to be able to achieve but certainly um you know I, I guess people who uh, are worried about leaving their uh, you know their, their jobs and stuff uh, it's because they, they're feeling that uh, well I've got a secure job here what you know why would I leave it to, to to do something else but you're you're essentially building up you're not leaving your, your job um, until you've built up your your passive income I mean I I left my teaching job when my passive income uh, was basically the same as what my salary, my wage from a whole year of um, teaching was, so my, my passive income from rental properties was, uh, was the same. So I, I was able to leave my job, but I, I put those measures in place over a few years to, to get to that level. Uh, so it wasn't as if I was just taking a, a massive risk and thinking, okay, I'm quitting now and I'm, I'm doing this. I mean, I, I put things in place so that I, I, know, I knew I could have that lifestyle.
0: Right. Right, Lloyd, so, so so we're throwing around a lot of terminology here, financial independence, passive income. Uh, do, you, do you ever go on, on Reddit? Yeah, yeah, sometimes. Absolutely, yeah. They, they have a category called explain like I'm five. It's like, how would you explain this to a five-year-old? How would you explain the concept of financial independence or what it means to have passive income?
1: Well, financial independence essentially means that you are not having to work for your money, but money is working for you. So you've set up a set of investments uh, and that can be through uh, through the stock market, through shares, it can be through property where there's a regular income stream coming in uh, even when you're not working. So essentially you've got money flowing into your bank overnight from let's say rental incomes from properties uh, and you're not actually doing anything for it. So obviously you've had to put things in place, you've had to buy those properties initially but once once you've bought them uh, and you've you've developed the the income um, on the properties, then you've actually got uh, income you know, coming into your properties. That, that's that's passive. Uh, and the less debt you have uh, on the properties, and the more passive income you have there. Um, in terms of financial independence, that's actually an interesting topic because it actually means different things to different people. So financial independence. Re- really means that you're you're in a position to be able to achieve your own uh financial goals now that that could be for some people just to uh have a house that they can they pay off the mortgage and they've got no no mortgage on it anymore Uh, for other people it might be to be able to put their kids through uh you know education or it might be to be able to go on holidays with their family and not worry about where the money's coming from the money can just come from their uh, their in passive investments mm-hmm. so, so it's really about what, what people's goals are and then financial independence is not relying on again your, your day job to be able to do that but having other means of income that can support you now some people you know can live on you know $40,000 a year passive income other people want to have $200,000 a year so that's why it means different things to different people
0: Okay, so it's interesting. So, so you started out and you said that it's about ha- not not working for your money, but having your money work for you. and that's a phrase that I think people certainly hear a lot. And you know, you also said that uh, you shouldn't quit your job until you have some sort of plan in place. So let's say someone's listening and they're intrigued by passive income, maybe they have their money mostly in a bank um, they, they, you know they don't know a lot about investing. What would be the first step that you would recommend to someone? Short of you know, before they quit their job to get started in you know with some some degree of passive income.
1: Yeah, the very very first step always with anything like this is is education. So you really need to um, learn as much as you possibly can. So you know, read read a lot of books, um, maybe attend some seminars, and seek out some mentors, uh, people who have actually done uh, what you want to do yourself. Uh, You don't want to be talking to people about uh, stuff that. you, um, that they may not have achieved it themselves. And obviously, if you're talking to family members about it, they might be trying to sort of scare yeah, you off and say, no, that's impossible. So you really need to, you know, put your mind in the right place and then seek out some mentors and understand what it is you're trying to achieve and how uh, you can achieve that. That's always the first step. Really, yeah, education is always the first step before you even go into looking at uh, the type of investment. Because remember, with uh, with achieving passive income, it always comes down to an investment of some sort. So that, that could be uh, buying property, it could be uh, investing in the stock market, uh, it could be um, you know, buying a business, um, buying a passive business I guess and having someone else run it. I mean that's not necessarily a uh, you know, first step for many people but there's there's different, but it's all, it all comes down to investing in, in one of those sort of models.
0: I mean, it, it it's also interesting. Something we haven't um touched upon much is the notion of risk. And with any investment, you know, there, there you know, there is some degree of risk. I would imagine. So, for folks who are maybe a little bit more risk averse, uh, compared to folks who are open to taking on risk, what uh form of passive income would you would you steer them towards, and what would you tell them to avoid? Uh,
1: so there's there's always risk involved with any sort of investments, and if, if there's no risk at all. Then everybody would be leaving their nine to five job and uh, and just just become having passing income and all sorts of things. So right. and people obviously a little bit um, you know scared or, or shy to do that. And it's not necessarily for everybody either. And that's kind of why there's there's five five or ten percent of people who sort of are doing this kind of thing. thing. And most uh, most people are still in their the nine to five. But in terms of uh, what makes good um you know less less riskier investments. Uh, one thing, and, and I think it's certainly something that we can um, look at in the current climate, is getting into something like property uh, is uh, less volatile, for example, than uh, than the stock market. So we've seen shares really go up and down a lot um, with this uh, the whole you know, COVID-19 experience and it's very volatile and people who um, don't have a, a big appetite for risk will uh, be quite nervous about having money tied up in the uh, you know, the share market and then seeing that they uh you know are saving sort of just going going you know skyrocketing down and then you know improving a bit and then going backwards again uh, with with property um, sure property prices obviously increase and they decrease but over the long term it's a less volatile uh, you know investment uh, and Bricks and mortars are always considered to be um, quite stable because it's, it's something that you can see there. Property is something that uh, you know, people want to live in, they need to live in. Uh, so uh, there's always going to be uh, rental demand from uh, you know, tenants wanting to live in properties, mm-hmm. uh, particularly when they're in well located areas. So one of, one of the things there is actually buying in the right area because you can't just buy an investment in any location any, either. You've got to get the right fundamentals to getting it in the right location.
0: Okay. So property is less volatile than the stock market. So if if you're listening to this, you're not someone that likes to spend too much money at the casino. You want to, you know, you want to return on your investment. You don't want to lose too much. Maybe property might be the way to go. And, you know, Lloyd, as I mentioned earlier, obviously a distinguished property investor, accumulated $12 million property portfolio. You, you You know, you know what you're talking about when it comes to purchasing property. So if someone is interested in you know and maybe going this route they don't have a background in real estate how might they proceed yeah
1: so as i said uh certainly uh, you know reading books and and things like that is is a very good start uh and then know, yeah, looking at some um you know, there's there's plenty of um uh information on the internet to uh where where the people can find out information on uh, you know on, on the right procedures to buy a property and and for example i'm uh and i think you guys have have them over there as well. I'm, I'm a buyer's agent, which means that I, I actually educate and then help people actually buy property for uh, for people who, uh, you know, lack the knowledge and lack the time. So so finding someone um, uh, who sort of a, can help like that and, and is a mentor uh, and can help you get into the right sort of investments uh, is something that's, uh, I think, very important. Uh, and you get educated along the way as well, rather than just sort of trying to, uh, you know, just trying to find a property and then wonder if it's going to you know be the right sort of property but putting that aside when you're you know when you're looking for a property you need to make sure the fundamentals are right so you know buying in well-located uh, areas in in major cities uh and then you know buying maybe buying near the beach near the water those um kind of areas uh tend to do quite well and uh you know if you're buying in places where there's lots of amenities uh you know cafes and restaurants uh basically lifestyle opportunities where people want to live. They're, they're the kind of um, areas where tenants will pay a little bit more money. Uh, so, yeah, they, they make better uh, better long-term investments than, uh, you know, than if you're sort of buying in the middle of nowhere uh, where there's not much demand for people. Uh, and, and, you know, buying in a city where there's several types of industries that are supporting the city, uh, which you don't find in, like, in small
0: uh, small towns, either. Okay, so so you identified a couple of, of, of interesting factors. So location, making sure that it's it's in a place you know where there's um where there's a beaches or, or you know water, and then you also mentioned industry, making sure that economically the surrounding area was was lucrative. Uh, do you do you necessarily need tens and thousands of dollars to buy property? You know what what sort of down payment uh, might someone expect? to have to present if they were interested in buying either multifamily or an apartment building or a house?
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. So what, one of the good things about uh, property is that banks really like to to lend uh, on property because they see that as quite a good asset. So uh, so generally you do need a little bit of a down payment, but that down payment might be just five or 10% of the uh, of the property's value. Uh, and then you can borrow uh, the rest of the, uh, the money. Now that obviously, uh, It changes a little bit around the the different economies and uh, the different banks and everything like that. But I I know, you know, back in Australia, we can get into um, various properties where you're only putting down a 5% down payment uh, and then, you know, borrowing the rest. So it essentially means that, you know, if you're um, buying a a property, say, for uh, $200,000, you know, you can put down a $10,000 deposit, uh, for example. Um, So, uh, you know, plus closing costs. So you don't need a huge amount uh, to put down initially because uh, you can live, leverage off the banks. And then the key then is to uh, to grow the value of your your asset, grow the value of the, the property, uh, and that'll help you get into future investments and start building up that uh, passive income stream. Uh, one of the key things to do is when you're buying property is to make sure that you're also got good rental income coming in because you need to start building that, uh, you know, that rental income so that you've got, um, you know, you're working towards your goals of of passive income in the future.
0: Okay. So, so you mentioned the passive income stream, and this is like you said before, this is being able to wake up, make yourself a cup of coffee at home, nice and, you know, and, 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 uh, and slowly and and you've already made a hundred bucks. That's everyone's dream, right? Um, so how, how soon after purchasing property and, and I know it 's hard to generalize, but on average, if you can give any sort of indication, how soon should most people expect to start making their mo- to start making money period, and then how soon you know until they make their money back, their initial investment recoups
1: so what I tend to um, like to do with properties is actually add value to them myself, so you might be able to do that through uh, a renovation uh, or even developing the property in some sense where you're actually Um, adding your own value to the property and not waiting for the market to move Uh, and that's actually a quicker way of building value uh, into uh, your portfolio uh, and then recycling your initial investment out so that you can move on to uh, you know to your next investment sooner.
0: Okay so within 12 months most people should um, see some sort of return on their investment and you, you you know you alluded to the fact that it it changes or might might vary depending on the type of of building. With your portfolio specifically, do you deal mostly with homes, apartment buildings, condos. Yes, yeah, so I've got a uh,
1: quite a mixture. I diversify a fair bit. So I have apartments, uh, I have uh, houses, and I also do duplexes essentially, uh, which are. Two units inside a uh, inside a property there. So they're are the main things that I do with my uh, my portfolio. Um, where they're located really depends on the market. So for example, in the inner cities um, areas um, in Australia uh, like Sydney and Brisbane, for example, I have apartment buildings. Uh, in the outer suburbs, I will have the houses and the duplexes. Uh, the duplexes are really good for um, the extra income because you're getting two incomes uh, coming to your property there. So you get a few of those into your portfolio and that can go a long way to helping you get that passive income that you're looking for.
0: A big part of, of passive income, Lloyd, is the fact that it's passive, that you don't have to do a whole lot. So for people listening who are wondering what, you know, what's the commitment you know, what's the day-to-day commitment like if you're managing one of these properties? How many hours a week would you say that 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 you put in to being, uh, you know, the de facto landlord?
1: Well, that's a really good question, actually, Ricky, because uh, I, uh, you know, across my portfolio, which is about 16 properties at the moment, week to week, I put in pretty much no time, probably about 15 minutes. Now, the reason for that is because I actually have a property manager for each property. Uh, So uh, a property manager being a real estate agent who's just managing uh, the tenants in the properties for me and they they collect the rent uh, and they pass on the rent to me and they they take a small cut for themselves, of course. Uh, But that's that's part of the business of um, having property. And what that means is that it's truly passive for me because I'm not actually doing anything. Uh, uh, I've got systems in place. So when I buy a property, I also make sure that I am appointing a property manager who can then appoint uh, fine tenants for the property and things like that. So uh, so all those things are in place. So I don't need to worry about um, my portfolio. I don't need to get up every day and manage it. things that I do with my property is, is if I want to add some value to a property, then um, I'll do a little bit there. I might decide I'm going to add some value if I want to organise a renovation or I want to um, subdivide a property I've got, I will organize those kind of things. But that's not a week to week thing. That's depending on uh, on my strategy and what I want to do. But week to week, you know, they, they they manage themselves pretty much with the with the property manager there and, and just having the rent coming into your bank account.
0: I gotta say, man. I mean, 15 minutes a week. Like if you divide, if you do the math and you look at how much you know money you're earning per hour based on that, it's it's astronomical. I, I, I think I think that's that's super encouraging to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And and. Like I said, like you, you need
1: to put plans and uh, and strategies in place. So it's not as if I'm telling people they should go and quit their nine to five now and all of a sudden tomorrow uh, they're going to be able to just have passive income. But it is very realistic if you put those plans in place. And what people need to also remember is that to be able to acquire property in the first place, they need a form of income to be able to uh, leverage the lending from the, from the bank. So if they've got a nine to five job, uh, that's a really good way of, been able to buy the property. So for me, when I was working nine to five and I wasn't very happy, what I did uh, use to motivate myself was the fact that I uh, could use the uh, the income I was getting uh, as, uh, and show it to the banks and say, you know, I want to borrow some money to, to buy a property. Uh, and having that stable income uh, from my nine to five job actually helped me set up my portfolio. So from that perspective, uh, you yeah, know, having a nine to five job was really good, because I but I knew the uh, the light at the end of the tunnel and what I was trying to achieve.
0: It's important to have income to to be able to put that down ta- down down payment down before getting a uh, you know a loan or a mortgage from a bank. But I would imagine it's also important to have a robust credit score. You know how does how does that factor in so far as getting approved for for a loan to, to buy property?
1: Yeah, you do need to have a um a good credit score generally. But there are uh, banks, and I'm not 100% familiar with uh you know with banks in the US, but you know in a in Australia, we, we have a variety of different types of lenders and some, uh, you know, we have what's called the big four lenders, but then we've got uh, some that are a bit outside the circle who will actually deal with people who are maybe self-employed or people who might have had a few problems with credit in the past. Um, so uh, there are some lenders who will actually lend Easier to some people than other people, so there are there are options around that, um, yeah, which is which is fantastic. So it's just a matter of finding the right lender uh, that suits your your needs, and and that's why uh, you know we uh, have a big market for mortgage brokers over here because uh, we have brokers who can actually go and find the right mortgages for people to uh, yeah, to help them buy their properties.
0: I I think actually we have a similar big four. I I, I mean, in in the US, it's like JP Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and Citibank. That's like the, the big four of banking. And I would imagine between them, you know, as long as your credit's decent, uh, sort of what you what you mentioned earlier, it shouldn't be that hard for you to get a, to proof for a loan from one of them. Just because banks love mortgages. I mean, look at you know w- w- what happened with the 2008 mortgage crisis. They were they, you know they were taking on more property and giving out more loans than uh, than was advisable, advisable given the the adverse credit ratings of the people they were lending to. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, and um and we got.
1: Similar, um, you know, the big four over here being Commonwealth Bank of Australia, Westpac, um, ANZ, uh, and uh, National Australia Bank. So very similar to what um, what you've just um, mentioned. And uh, and you're, you're absolutely right. And and when when times are down a little bit, that's a great time to be buying because you should be buying low and it's selling high. So during the credit crunch of 2008. Uh, uh, and you know the whole global financial crisis. I mean, I, I bought property during that time and uh, and you know did well. People who were selling during that time uh, were the ones that were missing out. They're the times that you should um, you should be really looking at uh, and buying. And and I love you know. Yeah, you, know, you guys have Warren Buffett over there, and I love his, right, with his
0: buy you know, when there's blood in the streets. Absolutely, <laughs> um, you know, um,
1: be be greedy when others are fearful, and fearful when others are greedy. Uh, so, um, you know, a lot of people sort of run to the hilt if um, if they feel the property prices are going down, uh, and then some people start selling their properties as uh, you know as an emergency because they think, oh, I better sell now because I'm going to lose all value on my property. But that's where property is a long term. Uh, long-term vehicle. It's a long-term investment. Uh, if property prices go down, I absolutely love that because you can get in and get, a good, get yourself a good deal. Mm. So, you know, mm. people are scared of uh, of low property prices because that's when you should be getting in. Um, you, should, you know, you definitely don't want to be selling at this this time. Uh, you know, when if, if prices are going going down, but you certainly can be buying, getting a good deal, and then capitalising on that growth. That's how you can actually make some serious money over the over you know a couple of years after you've had a bit of a credit crunch.
0: Exactly. I mean it it's so Lloyd, my background, um, as we might have discussed is Is, you know, I studied psychology and neuroscience, and I love the way that psychology bleeds into this because, you know, we spoke about conformity earlier, about not wanting to leave your nine to five job because no one else is. But I think you see the same thing during times of crisis where everyone starts panic selling, whether it be stocks, whether it be uh, bonds, whether it be property. You know, they call their friends, they call their family, they call their advisors, what do I do? And everyone says, sell, sell, sell. So it takes a lot of patience and it takes a lot of Poise um, and self-restraint to be able not to sell, at, you know, in a time of crisis and then to take the other mentality and say, I'm actually buying at a time like now.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's so correct. And and it does take it does take a lot of, um, I, I guess, guts because. Uh, you know, everybody's out there and everybody's, you know, asking their. Uh, you know, you can go to a, a, a barbecue or a party at a, at a neighbor's house or have family over, and they're always giving advice on on property. And uh, they, yeah, they might say, oh, no, don't don't buy now. You should sell everything now because you know, the, you know, everything's going to like, um, yeah, yeah, fall in prices by 50% and all this sort of stuff. And um, but you you know, you really got to have the guts to um, to hold firm to your beliefs and realise that now this is this is the time that I should be doing different to what everybody else is doing, and I'm going to go and. Actually, make some, um, you know, make some purchases and do well. Uh, because when you think about it, and like I said a little bit earlier, if you do the same as everyone else does, you have the same result as everyone else. And most people are not successful investors. Most people work a nine-to-five job that they're not happy with. Uh, and I, I really want to get the message out there that you don't have to be like that. Uh, you know, I I work that nine-to-five job, and I worked with people who are really unhappy, and they, but all they were doing was trying to buy lottery tickets, and unfortunately. All of those those people I work with are still actually working in those same jobs and still not happy. Um, personally, um, I've never bought a lottery ticket, but I had a plan to get out of my nine to five job and, and create that lifestyle uh, that I wanted to
0: create. I think a lot of people that you know you're describing are making decisions out of fear, and when you're making decisions out of fear, you know it's usually not rational. These are emotionally charged decisions. I think about you know people who who gamble. I don't know. Do you do you spend a lot of time gambling, Lloyd? I will not even put 1 dollar in a, you know, pokie's machine. <laughs> uh, a pokie's machine. Yeah, um is that that's like a slot machine?
1: Oh, that's a slot. Yeah,
0: sorry, that's a slot machine, absolutely. No, it's okay. No, we, we <laughs> Yeah, we just call it the slot, uh, you know, playing the slots. But the thing is is that if you want to be successful on the tables, for example, I'm the same as you. I don't, don't you know, I'm I'm extremely risk averse and I, you know, I I bring 50, 60 bucks to me, you know, maybe a hundred bucks max to spend at the casino. And that's all I'll spend. But if you want to win big at the blackjack table, or if you're playing Texas Hold'em, you got to be prepared to put down, you know, seven, $800 upwards of a thousand, two thousand $2,000. And for people who aren't prepared to lose that, you know, who, who are very hesitant about putting that money down, they're not going to win. So I very much think there's, uh, you know, a, a a synergy, there's a, uh, you know, it's analogous here, Lloyd, where essentially in, in passive income and in investing, if you're not willing to go all in, if you're not willing to make a big investment, it's difficult to see how, you know, how you can expect to, to benefit, to see that return. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you,
1: you know, you do need to be prepared to take on some risk and you do need to be prepared to put in some, uh, you know, an investment to, to make a return. Uh, otherwise look you you cannot uh, save your way to uh to wealth um just through you know putting money in a bank and saving out of your nine-to-five job working nine-to-five job for um for, for an employer isn't going to actually save your way to um to being really wealthy even if you're on you know a, a considerably good income you like uh you need to actually be able to you know take on some risk and and put some money into an investment and uh, and i guess you do need to be prepared to lose and look i i've, I've investments in the past that haven't worked well uh but uh, i've learned from those investments uh and it hasn't stopped me from you know moving forward uh and you know buying the next ones as well but i've made sure i've learned from any mistakes i've made because you know we all make mistakes but you need to have a goal that you're working towards keep yourself accountable to those goals maybe find a a mentor uh or a teacher who will help keep you accountable and keep you on track uh, because sometimes it can be a bit of a Uh, A lonely world because if you're wanting to leave your nine to five job but you realize you've got a a few years in front of you of trying to actually build up some passive income and uh, and it can seem a little bit slow at first but you just got to think of that long you know that that road ahead because if you're you know if you're say for example 30 years old at the moment uh, you've got a choice of creating passive income over the next five to ten years and you know you'll be out of there by the time you're 40 or you could just working 9-to-5 lifestyle until you're 65 um, and therefore you're just doing what you're doing now for the next 35 years and when I was a teacher I no way um, wanted to be doing what I was doing for the next 30 years and it wasn't that teaching's bad we all need teachers teachers are great but it's more the uh, you know the 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 lifestyle the shackles that were around me having that 9-to-5 job whether I was a teacher or doing something else uh, that was the shackles that were constraining my lifestyle.
0: Absolutely. I think I think that, you know, it's also interesting because you mentioned, you know, uh, being prepared to to deal with with a loss. And I think that a lot of this also comes down to. Uh, How you respond to adversity? Are you resilient? Are you someone who you get into investing, you purchase property and and there is an unexpected loss and you immediately quit and you say, you know what? I should have just stuck with the nine to to five. Or are you someone who recognizes that and you're patient and you're not going to be dissuaded by a couple initial losses? I mean, has that been your experience as well? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, for sure, yeah. Early on, you talked about how part of your philosophy is about diversifying your passive income portfolio. What does it mean to diversify, and and you know why is that so significant in this context? So, um, diversifying essentially means that you're not relying
1: on, uh, you know, exactly the same. So, for example, if you're buying property, uh, you don't want to buy the properties all in the same market because uh, that particular market may not do so well, uh, and uh, and then you you know may not get the uh, the growth or the income that you want from those markets. So um, so for us, for example, if uh, rather than buying all my properties in Sydney, I'd want to spread them around a bit and buy in Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane. Uh, but the other thing also is that. The markets, and you guys would be a bit the same. The markets would move in different different cycles. So you'd have one city that's getting a bit of growth, while another city is getting a bit of decline. So the whole idea is that while you're um, got one property in a in one particular city that's going really really well, um, one of the other properties may actually not be doing so well. So while while that city that's not doing so well, uh, you know, you're holding that property, you have got another property that's doing really really well, which offsets that. And then in the property that's know, decline declining market, that's the time when you should be buying, as we spoke about before. So that's really important to diversify, uh, you know, just, just for those sort of reasons. So you're not putting all your eggs in one basket.
0: For sure, I, I, you know, I think that's particularly important um, when it comes to investing in in the stock market, for example. They, you know, there's domestic stocks, there's foreign stocks, there's natu- natural resources, um, and some of those markets are more volatile. You know, and, and we spoke about volatility a little bit um, earlier. And so, like you said, with the eggs in one basket, if if domestic stocks, if there's you know some sort of um, Australian or American economic uh, bust cycle, you have uh, you know other areas where you've invested your wealth might be able to to compensate there. So by diversifying, you ensure that you're never going to lose everything. That you have um, some sort of reserve in every bucket. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true.
1: And uh, I guess getting back to the uh, the other thing I'd say about say you know having the income from the property is that. Uh, there are some some areas that actually provide a higher income. So uh, you can be in a capital city uh, in Australia where, for example, the the actual rental income you receive from your properties is actually not as high as if you buy in a more regional, more country sort of area. So diversifying actually buying away from the major cities uh, is actually quite good in terms of um, getting higher income. So you can balance that out, but you might actually get higher capital growth on a property in a capital city, but you won't get as much income uh, in that short term. So uh, you know, diversifying and buying a, a duplex in a country area where you'll get, you know, double income and quite a high income is actually really good for your portfolio. And it also shows uh, the banks um, some good uh, injection into your portfolio for when you want to go and, you know, borrow uh, for, your, for your next property. So there's there's lots of strategies in place there that uh, that help you uh, to move forward to – because a lot of people get stuck maybe with one or two properties and can't go forward because they're, they're buying the wrong uh, investments, uh, and they don't have a strategy in place. So it's, it's really about putting all those things in in place.
0: Yeah, and, and and I like your your particular focus on having a mentor because the bottom line is, you know, we're not. Uh, most people, when they start out in in a certain area, you're not an expert. You're not someone who's going to be immediately successful. So why not learn from someone who's done it before? Such, I mean, you know, so, so, as you're doing right here with Lloyd. Um, you know, talk to someone who has had success. Uh, be a sponge, soak up their strategies, what worked, what doesn't. Don't try to, to reinvent the wheel. Um, th- yeah, that's ab-
1: absolutely right. And um, and there's also uh, you know, people like you might be buying investments in, a, you know particular country for example you might be buying business in the in the us not not in australia but you can always seek out mentors in a in another country and you know one of the um you know one of the one of my favorite books was actually say rich dad poor dad from robert Kiyosaki and things like that so um which doesn't directly relate to investing in australia but uh, you know, just about everybody who's ever invested in property in Australia has actually read that book. So there's a lot you can learn from um, from general mentors and, and people, you know, writing about, uh, you know, the type of investments you're looking to do, even if you're looking, even if you're in a sort of a different market and things like that.
0: What was that book called? Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I, I think the, the American equivalent might be a walk down Wall Street. Uh, I, I feel like that's that's like the financial <laughs> investment for dummies manual. So, Lloyd, before we, we wrap up, if there's one thing that you want folks listening to take away from this conversation, either about passive income or about achieving financial independence in general, what would that be? Just, just have some belief in yourself and back
1: yourself uh, and, and just put a plan there because you definitely – if you're not happy with where you are, you definitely don't want to be doing that for the next 30 years, 20 years. So, so just back yourself, uh, put a plan in place, get educated and try to, try to do something that not, you know, try to do differently to what everyone else in society is doing.
0: Yeah and, and like and like you know he said earlier you don't have to quit your job today there's really there's no harm in doing some research you know reading up uh you know listening to podcasts like this uh connecting with um with Lloyd and I'll tell you how to do that in a minute um and just getting all the information and then deciding for yourself do you want to invest the time in developing a passive income stream because as you said it is you know a lot of time it's not something that's going to happen overnight yeah, that's correct, Ricky. And the other thing I'd
1: say is that not everybody necessarily wants to quit their nine-to-five job. You know, a lot of people might be you know, very happy in their job and they spent years getting educated to get a good job, a good career. So it's not so much about, yeah, let's everybody quit, quit their jobs, but it's important to have a passive income being built up because sometime in the future uh, you might want to be able to spend more time with your family. You might want to have those lifestyle choices. Uh, but what's really important is that you want to be able to be set up so that if something does happen to your job, and you actually get um, get laid off, uh, you get sacked, whatever, uh, you've actually got uh, some income coming from other investments. That means that you'll be okay and that you're not going to be uh, you know, worried about where you're going to get money from. And, and that's what we're seeing during this current pandemic is people are getting laid off from their jobs and then they can't afford to pay the rent the following week. And uh, I think people are now starting to realise they've got to set themselves up better for the future. So it's really about setting yourself up for the future. It's not about I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's some people that just want to quit their nine to five job right now. But, yeah. other, uh, you know, there's probably plenty of people who love what they're doing and, um, and they're contributing to society and they love it. And I think that's fantastic. But it, so it's, it's just a matter of uh, I still think that people need to set themselves up with, uh, with good investments. And, of course, those investments can also be uh, investments that they can hand down to their kids, uh, you know, as inheritances in the future. So there's lots of things you can do with uh, setting up good investments um, and, and you know, give your kids a good start in life as well.
0: I mean, and, and you said it yourself, you know, with the pandemic, people are realizing people might be getting into passive income for the first time. I I don't know how it is in Australia, but in you know in April um, of, of 2020, America lost 21 million jobs. It was something like uh, unemployment of 15 percent, the the lowest or rather the highest um, unemployment since the Great Depression. I mean, this is you know these are historic times where if you're ever gonna you know think about um, having a contingency plan, it would be right now. Absolutely, yeah, that's so true. And I think now more than ever,
1: people really should start be put start putting a contingency plan in place because what happened now, uh, you know, can definitely happen again in the future. Uh, and while it's quite unprecedented what we're seeing at the moment, you know, there's been other um, pandemics in the past. There's been other coronaviruses in the past, and this one's maybe hitting the the world uh, bigger it's maybe uh, you know one in one hundred year. Um, event because you know the last one to this scale was maybe the the spanish flu back in 1919 but nevertheless at some stage these sort of things happen and you want to be in a position where uh it's not going to affect you uh from a financial point of view if something like this happens
0: absolutely uh well said well said lloyd listen this has been a delightful conversation to all of my listeners. Lloyd has a new book out, which you can find on Amazon. It's called Positively Geared, How to Build a Multi-Million Dollar Property Portfolio from a 40K Deposit. He also has a podcast on Apple and Spotify called Positively Geared. So make sure to check that out as well. And I'm sure my listeners want to know where they can find you um, on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and where they can go to learn more about your work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um it- the book itself, um, yeah, I talk a lot about uh, yeah education uh, and yeah you know, sort of setting yourself up for um, you know for financial independence. So I think that's uh, something that um, I wrote the book to try to get that message out there. So it's not just a property book; it's really about uh, setting yourself up for the for the future. So I'd recommend that book, uh, as you said, available through Amazon. Um, my um, my business, Oz um, Property Professionals, that's AUS Property Professionals, uh, is is my website. Uh, you can find more information about me uh there as well uh and yeah happy for people just to uh, drop me a line and um uh I'll often connect with people via uh, via skype zoom or, or whatsapp or, uh, whatever's uh, convenient for people and uh, and i've actually got a uh, uh something else in the um pipeline as well which is um along the lines of um the, the positively geared brand as well so lots of exciting things happen but yeah, yeah really
0: happy to to help and to in- inspire a few people if i can I'm very curious, what, is, what does the name Positively Geared mean? What is that What is that a reference to? Well, Positively Geared
1: essentially is – so in um, what we have with, with property here in Australia is we have negatively geared and positively geared. So negatively geared essentially means that when you have um, income coming from your properties, that is not enough to pay off the debt, which basically means that you have to work your nine-to-five job to cover the difference between your rental income and um, – and how much debt you've got owing on the properties. Now, positively geared is the other way around. That's uh, essentially the same as, as passive income. So positively geared means that you're getting more income from your properties than what you actually owe on them. Uh, and that, and when you've got a positively geared portfolio, that's when you can then walk away from your day job, your nine-to-five job, because you've set yourself up with that uh yeah, with that financial independence, so so my positively geared brand is is about uh, the the passive income of growing a a portfolio that uh, that basically pays for itself.
0: Mm, I wonder if that's an Australian term, or I mean, I'm not I'm not um you know big time American investor, but uh, I'm curious if that if if that you know extends to America as well. Either way, I learned something today, but uh, it, but it probably probably is an Australian term because
1: uh, in our uh, in our tax system uh, we do have. Uh, like negative gearing benefits for example so you, if you negative gear a property you get some money back on tax mm. uh, and like that. so that, that's a, basically a tax strategy but it's not a very good tax strategy but it's again it's something that people are told to do just like they're told to have a nine to five job um, positively gearing is, is a little bit different because that's that's basically where like I said you're, you're setting up uh, you know financial independence for yourself uh, so yeah pro- probably very much a, um, an Australian you might have another another term for it over there but uh, but the terms in the, the book um, you yeah, the same thing. It's all about sort of setting up. Um, and, I, and I do reference a few things in the book um, in terms of the, um, the 2008 GFC and things. And I refer to a few things um, from, the, um, from the global crisis there as well. So there's quite a few interesting things uh, that people might get a bit of, um, bit of uh, good information from there as well.
0: Absolutely. So, so make sure to check out that book um, on Amazon and Lloyd's podcast as well. Thank you so much for joining me. It's, it's, it's been a lot of fun speaking with you. Thanks, Ricky. S- thanks so much. So that was my conversation with Lloyd Edge. Obviously, he's a very, very smart dude. It's no accident that he's as successful as he is. And I really appreciated the advice that he gave, particularly educating yourself and going into this with all the information and being willing to go the distance, see it through. Don't get discouraged. Don't you know quit investing or, or passive income just because it's a lot of work or just because... You know, you don't see results immediately. You really have to be patient, and you got to take your lumps. You know, it's 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 a lot of work. And as he said, if it was so easy, then you'd see you know 50% of people doing it instead of 5% of people doing it. Um, because I think there's a couple barriers of entry. I think one of them is information, is people just don't know about it. Um, and then the other is is impatience. People want you know return on their investment quick. And if you're going to acquire property, I have you know a couple friends that have done it. You're gonna to have to, you know, put down thirty, forty thousand dollars at least. Um, you know, let alone fixing places up and you know putting all the time, the opportunity cost into making the the you know repairs and the renovations. So it is it is a lot of work, but it is also high reward. And as I mentioned earlier, it's it's you know better to buy property than rent, obviously as a tenant, and then as a source of passive income being able as he said being able to get up in the morning make some coffee go on a run spend some time with your son and not you know worry about having to to check your emails and have that structured 9 hour day lifestyle you have the financial freedom which is so critical in today's world and people are realizing that um with events like the pandemic that maybe you know you shouldn't your your livelihood shouldn't be tethered to the success of a mom and pop restaurant or to the success of you know a global finance corporation because you know economies can be volatile too obviously these things don't happen all the time a financial crisis or a recession or depression but it does happen um and you also want to have and and we touched on this as well you want to be able to to you know to take vacations and to enjoy your life. And don't wait until the last five, 10 years to do what you want to do. You know, wouldn't you rather, I always say this to my friends, we talk about the concept of mini retirements, which Tim Ferriss popularized in the eight hour work week. You know, wouldn't you rather every couple of years take time off, you know, go on vacation, see the world, travel, be with your friends, be with your family, um, do what you really want to do rather than, you know, saving all that until you're at the end of your life. I mean, let's face it would you rather experience those those you know once in a lifetime opportunities when you're at your your physical psychological mental emotional prime in your 20s or when you're you know when you're 70 80 years old or or whatever you know whatever it is so it's just, it's something to think about, plant the seed. And then if you do want to get more information, uh, I mentioned how you can connect with Lloyd and, you know, read about his book and also just, you know, go online. There's so much literature about this. There's so many podcasts. There's so many eBooks. There's so much on YouTube. Um, get the information, put in the work, and then, you know, you, you, you can do it. You can unlock that, be one of the 5% that can unlock that passive income lifestyle. So next week, I am going to have a bonus episode for you. I don't think I've had a single bonus episode since we've gone to this new, you know, Nervous Habits Reloaded format. Um, you know, we've had so many amazing guests. I think we've had two, four, six, something like eight guests in a row without having a bonus episode. So, you you know, the, there's been knowledge bomb after knowledge bomb, but um, I, I do want to go back to the roots of Nervous Habits, the you know, the banter and, and the, you know, the goofy tenor of the pie that, uh, that I'm known for. And I do have a couple special guests coming on, um, for the bonus episode. And then after that bonus episode next week, in the next few weeks, we're going right back to it. We'll be examining topics, um, talking about maximizing the quality of your sleep and overcoming resilience and more on relationships and morning routines, lots of amazing stuff. But next week we're going back to a bonus episode with some special guests that's coming up next on Nervous habits thank you so much for listening to this episode of nervous habits if you haven't done so already subscribe on apple podcast rate review would really appreciate that you can also follow us on instagram at nervous habits podcast on twitter at nervous habits underscore search on youtube nervous habits podcast and write to the pod at nervous habits podcast at gmail.com nervous habits podcast at gmail.com it's always funny that i read the email address twice but i say everything else once i just <laughs> a little bit of metacognition i just picked up on myself doing that now and remember always forego other people's advice. Because if you do the same thing as everyone else, you're going to have the same results as everyone else. And like we said, buy when there's blood in the streets. Take care and stay nervous.